Well, Pastor Aaron has been walking us through a sermon series on private prayer, right? Based on John Bale's diary of private prayer. And, and so this morning, he has given me the assignment of closing his series, which is kind of exciting because I get the opportunity and the privilege of closing his series. And what's so special for me is that we're going to focus on intercessory prayer so I can hopefully ask you to be praying for me as I teach. And hopefully I, I do a good job and you'll be praying for me more often, right? Isn't that a great opportunity for me? Those of you who don't know me, I'm Dallas. I'm a member of this church. And, and everything looks different, by the way, when you watch it online. I thought Alan was over here. <laughs> okay, so he usually is. Well, today we're going to focus on intercessory prayer and our confidence in praying bold prayers. And so our focus is going to be found in a portion of the church's history in the book of Acts Chapter 12, now I hope that you have your Bibles, and if you do, would you turn to Acts chapter 12? Now I hope you're really ready. Are you ready? Because we're going to move really fast. I'm not going to be able to read every part of chapter 12, so you're going to have to follow along very, very clearly and, and precisely this morning. We're going to only focus on a few verses that transition us this morning. So are you ready? Oh, Hallelujah. So imagine, tomorrow morning you wake up to a miracle, and it's not your iPhone that wakes you. I know most of you, that's the way you wake up every morning, your iPhone alarm sets off, but this time it's an angel that wakes you up. That's exactly what happens to Peter. He is arrested, he's put in prison, now the third time. But this time it's different. This time it seems he's headed to an, a trial and, and probably an imminent death. I wonder years later if Peter remembers Psalm 34 and what happens at this point in his life when he writes in 1 Peter, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. For the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And right here, the world is turned upside down. Could it have gotten any worse? And you don't know if I'm talking about right now or back then, right? You ever feel that way? Well, I'm talking about back then. Peter had been preaching. You see, things had been getting better, they thought. Peter had been preaching with power and with, with authority, and the church was growing, and, and things seemed to be going up, and even when things got a little dicey, everything seemed to streak out all right. But now, there are soldiers on the street, they're looking for the leaders of the church, and I know that God is watching as Herod Agrippa, you see in verse 1, is laying violent hands on the leaders of the church. You have to have a little context here. Agrippa's 
father was Herod the Great. <laughs> He's the grandson of Herod the Great. And you'll remember that Herod the Great is the guy who ordered the killing of the little baby boys after Jesus' birth. This same Herod the Great had Agrippa's father. This is kind of wild. He had his father killed because he thought, saw him as a threat to his own throne. King Agrippa was also the nephew of, of another Herod Antipas. You know Herod Antipas, he's the one that had John the Baptist killed and offered his head on a platter. Remember that? And so this bad apple didn't fall far from the tree. It's kind of a rough family to live, grow up in. But, but Agrippa ha had, had a few things going for him. In fact, his life looked kind of positive. There were some positive things going on. Agrippa was taken for an education to Rome where he lived with the royal family and lived almost like one of them, like he was a part. And his little playmate was a guy named Caliglia. Now, Caliglia and Agrippa, <laughs> they were like two peas in a pod. If you lived in the court, you probably would have said they were evil twins. They would be running around, and I'm only guessing, but these two privileged young men probably caused all kinds of angst with everyone. And when they grew older, just think about the trouble they, these privileged young men must have done all kinds of things because they could. And one night as they grew up, King Agrippa and Caliglia and others probably were in a party and Agrippa foolishly said something unwise about Tiberius, the emperor. And so he found himself in prison. But his little friend, you remember, his friend Caliglia was the heir to the throne. And Caliglia was now becoming more powerful and more influential. He was now the commander of the Praetorium Guard, the royal elite army. And when his father got sick and didn't die quick enough, <laughs> Caliglia ordered his Praetorium Guard to kill his father while he was sleeping in his own bed. What a great family to grow up with, right? Great father-son dynamics going on here. Wouldn't you love a child like that? And so Caliglia becomes emperor. And when he becomes emperor, Agrippa's fortunes change. A year after Tiberius' untimely demise, Caliglia makes Agrippa in, in 37 AD the king over much of Judea. And the emperor gives Agrippa one task, one job. Keep the Middle East. Keep Judea quiet. Keep the peace. And so I, I'm kind of guessing that Agrippa had learned a few lessons from his previous missteps. A few lessons on diplomacy. And now he is making friends with the Jews to keep the peace. 
and he vigorously attacks the Jewish Christians there. Power was his goal. Keep it at any cost, even if the price was a little bit of blood. You see why? Do you see his nature kind of coming out? How does an Edomite Roman-appointed king rule in Judea? Well, you arrest a few apostles, and you kill them. <laughs> and that's what he did. So Herod has several believers arrested in his first dragnet, and he catches James, the apostle James, the brother of John. Do you remember him? And injustice moves very swiftly, and James loses his head. And he becomes the first of the apostles to be martyred. His death kind of takes on a new significance, though, when you start to put it back into context. Do you remember? It was James and John's mother who comes to Jesus and says, I want my two boys to have a throne on your right and your left. And do you remember Jesus' response? He says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And of course, both the boys go, yeah, I can do it. Of course, they had no idea what they were asking. But they soon discovered the cost of winning a throne of glory. You see, James is put to death, we see here in this passage. The death of James pleased the, the Jews so much that Agrippa says, I'm going to do this again. And he sends out his guards this time, and they catch Peter. And when they catch Peter, he thought to himself, oh, how pleased the Jews are going to be that I caught this troublemaker. But then he remembered, Peter's a slippery one. Peter is slippery, so I'm going to put double guards on. In fact, he puts 16 guards on this project, four on each watch. And, and what he does is he grabs two of the biggest, strongest guys, and he chains them to Peter on both sides, and then he puts two guards at the door, watching to make sure that nothing happens. You see, Peter had mysteriously disappeared before, and that wasn't going to happen again. Now grab your Bible and you look in verse 5. And it says, and so Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. That phrase, but earnest prayer, but prayer is a turning point in this passage. Never underestimate the power of your prayer. Now, if you were in prison, if you were in prison, chained between two smelly Roman guards in a smelly Roman-type prison, knowing what just happened to James, knowing you're facing the possibility of your own death and trial, would you be able to sleep? I've got to be honest with you, I don't think I would. I'd be a mess. I I I'd be up all night. I'd, I'd be thinking about what in the world. I'd be praying. I'd be begging God every moment. Oh. But Peter slept like a baby. 
The passage tells us he slept like a baby that night. He slept so well that when an angel appears in the midst of the cell, he doesn't notice. And the Bible uses some really amazing words to describe the appearance of this angel. It says, behold, and a light shone in the cell. But Peter didn't notice. He was fast asleep. So much so that the, that angel had to smack him and wake him up. So why was Peter so calm? He'd been in jail before, but that's not the reason. In fact, this time was so different. This time he was alone. The other times he, he got to preach. I mean, that always gets a, a preacher a little excited. I get to preach and he gets to share his faith. And no one died. <laughs> but this time's different. This time James is dead. So what gave Peter such confidence and peace so that he could rest? Will you remember in verse 5? There were many people praying for him. And I want to tell you, I think that prayer strengthens others in ways that we'll never know this side of heaven. Prayer strengthens people. Prayer has a way of helping us remember God's promises as well. I love Isaiah 41.10 where it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my strong, right, righteous right hand. Oh. But you know what's more important to this story is that Peter remembered that Jesus had promised he would be an old man when he died. In John chapter 21, that's exactly what Jesus does. He promises him that he will be an old man and that others will dress him and he will be led where he does not want to go. He would live a long life. And tradition tells us that eventually he was led to his own crucifixion. But an angel in our story brings light and freedom to the jail, and the guards have no idea either what happened. I mean, check out what happens. Verse 7, the angel smacks him, right? He struck Peter in his side and woke him up. Then in verse 8, the angel gives him a set of commands. He says, B, get up quick. Get dressed, put on your shoes, put on your coat, and follow me. I want to ask you, have you ever had a vivid dream, one that you still remember? I can only imagine this is exactly what Peter must have thought. This was one of those stress-induced dreams, you know, where the little monkey Abu starts running around your head and you start stuffing him in a jar, but I digress. Peter must have had this moment where he thought, this is just a dream. And yet, it's kind of interesting because he does everything he's told to do. Right? Did you notice that? Think about those angelic commands. That same angel could have picked him up and carried him outside. Don't you think so? That same angel could have grabbed his coat and put it on and tied his shoes, but he didn't. He tells him, do this. And, and Peter did exactly what he was told told exactly 
You see, God often joins the ordinary with the miraculous. Think about it. Jesus turned plain old water into the very best wine ever drank. He took two loaves and four fishes, and he fed thousands. And then he asked his disciples, go pick that up, all the leftovers. He, he healed Jairus' daughter. But do you remember at the end of the story, he says, go feed her. God asks us to obey. And sometimes they are very simple commands. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but he asked others to roll back the stone. Peter had to bend over, put his shoes on, and tie them before he could walk and be free. And Peter followed. When God opened the way, Peter followed. And then when he was free, what happens? We see in this passage. And when he comes to himself, he says, Now I am sure that the, the angel of the Lord rescued me from the hand of Herod. And from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, it says... He decided to go to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark. That was a lot to say. <laughs> where people were gathered and they were praying. And here's where I think the story really gets kind of exciting. You thought all that was exciting. But this is really exciting because, you see, Peter gets free and he decides to go to the place where people's prayers had helped free him. He gets up and he starts heading to this place where the people are gathered praying. And Peter knocks on the gate. The answer to their prayers is literally standing at the gate. And they don't have the faith to open it. God can get Peter out of prison, but Peter can't get himself into a prayer meeting. And I know, I know that knocking on that door, that, that knocking on the door could have been a soldier coming to arrest the believers. So I, I, I'll give them a little slack, right? Those were scary days. And eventually someone comes to the gate. Little girl, Rhoda, comes. The servant girl comes. And, and when she comes, imagine her surprise when she realizes the voice on the other side of the gate is Peter's. She's so excited, overcome with joy, that she doesn't unlock the gate. She runs back and tells everybody. Whew. Peter kept knocking. <laughs> Think about it. The longer he keeps knocking, the longer he keeps yelling, the more dangerous this whole situation becomes. I mean, eventually the guards are going to wake up, right? Eventually they're going to come looking for him. I can imagine Peter's getting a little frantic. Open the door. And as Rhoda ran to tell others that Peter was at the gate, their lack of faith was demonstrated in their responses. First, the faithless called her crazy. I'm going to tell you, if you take a huge step of faith, if you really take a step of faith, some people might call you a little nuts too. And then they suggested that the, it was his angel at the door. I don't know if they were saying she was delusional or if they really thought maybe that was true. But there's so many questions that come to my mind when I think about that, 
that statement. I mean, why would an angel be knocking on a door? Right? I mean, he could just come in. <laughs> the second thing is, if it was an angel, wouldn't you want to go and see that? I would. And Peter keeps knocking. And when they finally opened the gate, they saw that it was him and they were amazed. When you pray, when we pray, do we doubt? Are you amazed when God answers your prayer? Have you, in the past, stopped praying bold prayers because you just feel like maybe God won't do that at all? God won't answer. You don't have the confidence to believe that he answers your prayer. Now let's deal with the elephant in the room. Maybe you didn't catch it, but there's a really big thing going on in this that really perplexes you if you think about it. I mean, why did God let James die and rescue Peter? After all, I'm almost certain people were praying for James. Don't you think so? They were praying for James. I'm certain of it. The death of James is such a crucial question for us to think about. As much as as important as the rescue of Peter. Why did God let James die? And I think the question's relevant because each and every one of us will face death. A death of a loved one or ourselves one day in our lives. And we have to come to the realization, we need to learn that Jesus sometimes has different priorities than we do. What feels like desperation for us may not be his top priority, as urgent to him, at least not in the same way. Do you remember when Jesus was asleep on the boat in Mark chapter 5? And all the disciples come frantic, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? And he calms the storm, and then he looks at him and says, why are you so afraid? You still have no faith. And the lesson, I think, is clear. You and I are afraid almost always of the wrong thing. Don't fear what or who can kill your body, but fear and trust God who rules the storm and death. Jesus knew that there were bigger and more dangerous storms coming for each and every one of the disciples. He knew that some of those storms would come and kill them. They needed to know who to be afraid of, and so do we. Because unless Jesus returns first, every one of us is going to face a storm Every one of us is going to face a threat, and one of them is going to kill us. And our initial response could be like the disciples, Jesus, don't you care? Maybe you've already responded like that before. Well, you're in good company, because that's what the disciples did. But we really ought to think at that moment and remember that Jesus does. He does care so deeply for us, and the same man that walked the earth and wept at the tomb of Lazarus, will weep with us, and one day he will rise us again. Amen? There's an interesting passage in Hebrews eleven thirty-five. 
kind of obscure. I, I, I read over it every time, but then it dawned on me how it fits. Because it says, it says, refusing to accept release that he might rise again to a better life. Wow. I think that's the key to Acts chapter 12, verse 2. Jesus lets James die because he has a better life for him. And he gets to be the first of those 12 disciples martyred and the first to be the answer to Jesus' own prayer in John chapter 17, where he prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Wow. Peter's deliverance from prison is a really big deal. Don't get me wrong. But you know what? Peter dies again. James experienced true deliverance. The resurrection and the life swallowed up death right then at that very moment. And there's going to come a day when Jesus' prayer will overrule all of our prayers for longer life. And that's okay. Because when that happens, we will have a new life that is richer and fuller and better and more joyful. And, and one day we'll be there and we'll be standing in that presence of God and we'll be shaking our head, why did I wait so long? But there's a second thing, another side to this coin. When our world is turned upside down, we need to think about our worldview. When we're praying, what are we thinking? Is our prayer egocentric or Christ-centric? You see, Jesus is the answer. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Jesus is the answer. Do you really think that? In Colossians chapter 4, Peter wrote, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Sounds like Pastor Aaron's previous sermon. Being thankful. Pray also for us that God may open to us the door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That I may make it clear which is what I ought to speak. That's how we ought to pray. When life happens, what do you do? You stop and pray. When life happens, those two little words, stop. Pray are some of the hardest words to think of in the middle of a storm. Stop and pray. But that's exactly what Jesus longs and intends for us to have. A relationship with God. That's why Jesus endured the cross. Was to give, a, give us a relationship. To purchase for us a relationship with God. He wants us to see and enjoy and rejoice in his presence Forever, his glory, forever. And so when Peter finally calms everyone down in our story, he told them everything that had happened, how God had heard their prayers. He encouraged the believers, God is faithful. And then he says, tell these things to James and to the other brothers. Then Peter disappears. And except for a, a couple 
obscure passages like in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we never hear from Peter again in the biblical sense. We never hear of him again in the Bible. It's kind of an amazing thing. Peter disappears from history. This is real secret church kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know where Peter went, and it seems to me to be one of those need-to-know things, and you and I don't need to know. And so, that's what we know. But we are told that the gospel goes forth in power. In verse 24, it says the word of God increased and multiplied. God hears the prayers of his people. And the eyes of the Lord are definitely on the righteous. But those who do evil are judged. You and I need to be aware of that. You see, the guards in our story get put to death. Quickly, they're just killed. And Herod goes off to Caesarea where there's kind of like a small Olympic Games, kind of in a regional game. And, and the Bible gives us some more insight into it that during those games, there are some heads of states that are there and they are trying to work out some trade issues. You don't get that from any other historian, but the Bible tells us that there was that trade issue going on. But when Agrippa stands to speak to the big crowd that had gathered and they start to honor him that his words are like God's, he dies. <laughs> Josephus confirms this whole event, that this is the way it happened. You see, because he didn't give glory to God, he died. So let me ask you this morning, what is prayer? When we think of prayer, we often think about intercessory prayer, right? And I want to give you a, a simple definition for intercessory prayer this morning. It's telling God what he already knows and aligning our hearts and our will to his and thinking about what God is doing. Instead, prayer sometimes becomes a ritual to get what we want. That's what intercessory prayer sometimes becomes. When it doesn't happen the way we want, we are angry with God and we lose heart when we pray. We often give prayer lip service. We discount it until personally we face a problem or, or an attack or a situation that's kind of out of our control. We don't have the means to solve it. And that's when we cry to God and we ask him to solve it based on the plan, of course, that we suggest. See, we're often so self-sufficient even in our prayer. You know, we, if we're honest, we live every bit of our day, almost all of our day, self-sufficiently in our control, don't we? Is there ever a moment in your day that you couldn't have done it? I heard a mission doctor say he had three strikes against his spiritual maturity. First, he was born in America. And of course, we Americans, we have all the answers for all the people of the rest of the world. You know, right? I mean, we, we're Americans. We have all the, all the solutions and the money and the power. We can fix everybody. Second one was he was a man. And you know, we men, 
We fix problems. Right? And the thirdly, he was a doctor, a medical professional. He said doctors, <laughs> doctors are often wrong, but never in doubt. I, I thought, wow, that's, that's, that's tweetable right there. But I want to suggest to you the most significant barrier to our spiritual growth and our maturity this morning might be that we're Nebraskans. We have that Nebraska mindset where we pull our own boots on all by ourselves and we do everything else and we don't ask for help. But prayer moves us to a dependence on God. And oh, that we would know today the power of prayer and not underestimate that discipline for our lives. Now, this passage, this simple gospel account that we, we've kind of read over today, in it, we see the underestimated power of prayer. But today, we need to trust and believe that power and the love of God in and for our lives. Did you catch that? Today, we need to trust and believe. We must pray like those who humbly trust and obey the Lord and discovered the touch of God through ordinary obedience to the word of God. And who discovered greater faith in God's power for their lives. And where the word of God increases and multiplies. Where the kingdom of God expands to every community in Kansas and in Nebraska. And so... As I end this morning, I have three questions for you. First one is this. How are you going to measure your prayer life? If you were to give yourselves a scale from 1 to 10, where are you on your own scale? But where are you in comparison to what was laid out for us here in this passage? How are you going to rate yourself? Write down a number. Secondly, what step of faith or obedience, maybe it's a simple step of obedience, like moving across the world to help orphans in Africa. You know, a simple one. Or maybe it's a really hard one, like getting up a few minutes earlier and actually saying, God, today is your day, and I trust and obey. What is that step of faith and obedience that God has laid on your heart today? Maybe write down one or two things that God has just been saying to you. Maybe there's an area where you need to trust and obey. And then thirdly, would we seek to boldly believe that God answers prayer today and pursue a life of blessing by praying for people? I told you I was selfish this morning a little bit and that I want you to be praying that the kingdom of God would go to every community in the state of Nebraska. That's my role, is to encourage and help churches develop discipleship and, and leadership development in their churches and discover and develop and deploy missionaries around the world. And so would you pray for me specifically today? But what has God laid on your heart? Let us pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, we realize that, uh, Lord, there are so many times that we try to live our lives
and every completely in our own strength and our own power today and every day. And there are so few times that we could actually say that only God could have done what happened today. But today we want to lean in to what we've read. And we do not want to doubt but believe that you can do anything and have the faith to pray to that end and be looking for where you are at work in our lives and in our community and so that we could adjust our hearts and our will to your plan in Jesus' name.